Welcome to episode 190 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Max. What are you doing on our podcast? Me again. Go oh, home. No. Go home. Today, we caught up with Christine Rode. She is a freelance designer over in Amsterdam. She's visiting in town in SF, and we had the chance to catch up with her about her work, her background, her time at Facebook previously, and now what she's up to over in Amsterdam. Yeah, it was a super fun conversation. Christine has had a lot of like pretty unique experiences, so it was really fun to talk to her. Before we get started, we have an announcement. Which is Max, do you want to give the announcement? <laughs> which is why Max is here. This week's sponsor is Space Program. What's Space Program? Space Program make an app called Spectrum, which is Wait. Another app called Spectrum? Wait, wait, we're building a thing called Spectrum. Yeah. So we are Space program. We're the space program. I'm so excited about this name. That's I just keep sitting on space program. So for real, the three of us uh, were building a company called Space Program that builds a product called Spectrum. And Spectrum it's is a thing now. Ready for you to use. Spectrum.chat is our URL. On the interwebs. Go and sign in with Twitter. Uh, we're building a replacement for the spec Slack team and for communities beyond. Yeah, generally communities. Helping people connect and chat and share stories and get to know one another inside of communities that are safe for everyone. We want to be as supportive and constructive as possible. Yeah. And we're doing everything we can to enable that. So this is a very special sponsor of ourselves. <laughs> because it's us. Uh, the three of us are working on this full time now. Yeah, we, uh, we've each left our, our existing jobs. Our respective jobs. Ha, respective. Nice. And Spectrum's a thing. You can try it now. That's at spectrum.chat is our URL. And uh, the name space program of our company is just cool. Yeah, we, we just wanted <laughs> a cool name. You can't look it up or anything. It's just it's like a piece of paper says that somewhere. It's spaceproger.am. Yeah. And there's nothing there. Uh-huh. <laughs> so go to spectrum.chat, join the community, talk to us. Look at those beautiful illustrations done by our friend Meredith Schomburg. Mm. Mm. Oh, yes. So good. Shout out. She's good. Woo. Shout out Sean Bombadil. She did the best job we could have hoped for. Yeah. Okay. And with that. That's our sponsorship yeah. of us. Now. Our sponsorship of us? Our spaceship? Uh, boom. Our spaceship of us. Cool. We shipped. <laughs> and with that, let's get into episode 190 with Christine Rode. Hi, my name is Christine Rode, and I'm a freelance product designer currently living in Amsterdam. Beautiful. All right. What are you working on? Right now I'm working with an exciting Swedish startup called Glue um, that's making a smart lock for your door. So It's made I'm, of glue. It's, it's not just, made of glue, it's but it's a smart it lock shut. in that it is just glue. <laughs> it is just super glue and you will be locked up. <laughs> it's glue that connects to your phone. Ah, smart mm-hmm, lock. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's like the stickiness is controlled by your app and I'm designing the app, so it's kind of cool. You have to cool. slide up and down a gradient to release this, like, the stickiness. Oh uh, yeah, that's some good... Some good security. It's just like mushy when you open the door. <laughs> so it's called glue. No. <laughs> but it's not physical I just need glue. to, you know, it's not sticky. <laughs> this is for legal well, reasons. I think I that's, have, a, I think I that's up to, to us. That it is right. not glue. The user experience might be sticky, but, you know, just the nice. <laughs> You might just really like unlocking your door. Let's hope so. <laughs> you know you work for a startup when... You worry about stickiness. <laughs> so you're freelancing for the Swedish startup. I am, yeah. Cool. Do you do you normally stick to one client at a time, or do you like to like mix and match? Um, yeah, I think it's quite nice to be able to stick with one client for a while. When I started working with these guys, I wasn't initially um, anticipating that it would last this long, but it ended up we did one design sprint and then we moved on to another one and it's just been kind of like a process that there's a there's a lot of work to be done. So it's just kind of kept on going. Um one thing led to another and uh we worked <laughs> together forever. And now I'm a full time employee. No. <laughs> and I'm employed. <laughs> but um but yeah I'm currently actually in the process of um what's the word? Um Anyway, I'm currently in the process of looking into other clients as well. So cool. uh, I'll also be trying out and seeing what it's like to work on different clients over the course of a week. Sure. Cool. Where are you from? I'm from Oslo, Norway. When did you come to the U.S.? Because I saw that you had been in SF. 
Yeah, so I moved to SF for college. So I was here for five years, and wow. then the United States government kicked me out. So Those that's jerks. why I went to London. <laughs> Tell me about the before time. What's Norway like? I want to go. Norway's um, Norway's a very picturesque country. Uh-huh. The standard of living is really high, and everyone's really happy. I think. Okay. Well, I mean, just like looking at pictures of Lofoten, like that's all I want to look yeah. at. Yeah. Okay. That's Holy not shit. really where I grew up, so I can't really speak so much from that part of the country. But um, <laughs> yeah, Oslo is like slightly less exciting probably than <laughs> no Northern Lights. Do you where still I grew eat up. whale? I've never had a whale. Okay. I've heard it described as being like a cow. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's an appealing reason to eat it. I mean, it's like <laughs> sure. I mean, I like beef, but it seems like that's like a lot of work just to have something that's like beef. Um, and there's like the ethical dilemmas and stuff like that yeah. that I am not educated on. Ethical, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like growing up there? What'd you do? Oh, uh, you know, we played outside a lot when I was a kid. Frolic with the reindeers. <laughs> yeah, you know, just running around in nature and uh, just joyous climbing trees. My mom always joked that she, uh, when yes. she couldn't find me, she would like look up and I would always be sitting like in the nearest uh, classic Norwegian <laughs> light uh. pole or tree or something like that. So that sounds about like my childhood, at least until we got internet when I was 10 and then I just didn't leave the house. <laughs> and everything changed. <laughs> what was so appealing about the internet at that point? Like, what were you doing with it? Well, Long story short, I got really obsessed with Pokemon. This is yes. like 1999. Mm-hmm. So this is like prime Pokemon time. Yes. Um, Peak Pokemon. And the best years, as they say. <laughs> and this is like the year that my parents got divorced. So oh. I was suddenly like spending time at my dad's house that was far away from all my friends. Didn't really know what to do with myself. He had a computer. It had Microsoft front page on it. And I'm like, I'm going to make a website for Pikachu. And that's about what I did from that point onwards. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Basically, just uh, personal just, branding for Pokemon. <laughs> just, you know, still having stuff, still making websites for Pokemon. Yeah, no, I said really, the Swedish but... company Glue. Yeah, they're just a Pokemon spinoff. <laughs> uh, so you ma- started making websites. How old were you at the time? I was um, nine or 10, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Early. Yeah. What did you do? So you made a website for Pikachu. Yeah. I'm sure Pikachu is very thankful. It was very yellow. <laughs> I just say the website so as, is as you do. Keeping yes. the same color palette sure. as the Pokemon itself. Sure. How did that <laughs> progress? Like, what was interesting about that to you? Well, you know, it started with Microsoft front page, and it just kind of took off from that point on. Um, I was really obsessed with just like continually improving the website, and so. Um, what led me to discover that, you know, design is what I should be doing and not just development, which, you know, one thing led to another. And I was teaching myself code and I started writing things in, in Notepad because that's that's what you did at the time. Uh-huh. Um, but I think, like, I was redesigning these websites, like, every two, three months, right? Like, I'd come up with, like, a new layout and just, like, scratch everything and then build it all over again for a new design, like, every three months. All for the Pikachu website or well, it started with Pikachu, but then it was like Harry Potter, and then it was like The Legend uh, of Zelda, yes. and then uh-huh. it was just, you know, some random like Japanese characters that all my friends were into on the internet. And I'm not even sure that I knew what was going on, but they were cute. <laughs> <laughs> this needs a website. Don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. It's like basically whatever was like the obsession of this very moment, I needed to like build a website yeah. for it. Okay. Are these websites alive anywhere? Um, no, not for the most part. You can find some of them on like the web archive, but you know, most of my really beautifully designed graphics (laughs) have been lost in like the space time ether. (laughs) At any point, did you get to make money from those? Or was this all just hobby passion? Not really. I mean, the Pikachu website did pretty well. Like I think it became like Norway's like third most popular Pokemon website. (laughs) Ah. Now we're talking about a pretty small country. Yeah, very no, niche. that's that's a pretty <laughs> exceptional thing to say. <laughs> so I'm is, not going to brag too your, much about it. You know, I but... didn't see that on your LinkedIn bio. <laughs> Bill um, Norway's third most popular probably... Pokemon website. You should please from 2001. Yeah, <laughs> please put that on there. So <laughs> so many job offers. You might not have been like the very best, like no one ever was, but you were at least the third best in Norway. <laughs> that some people ever were. <laughs> I should probably put that on my LinkedIn profile. You're right. Cool. You, I'll I'll be sitting here eagerly 
awaiting that update. Good, good. All right. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I remember that, you know, at one point I had probably AdSense on on all my websites. And I think I probably got like $100 check at one point, you know, after yeah. like years and years of accumulating these like clicks. You hit the and threshold. I remember, right, you know, I yes. was like 13, 14 years old. So of course that felt like a 10 of many. It was like, yeah. oh my God, I'm getting rich on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you say you make your money? Uh, <laughs> Pikachu. Pikachu. Selling ads against trademark. <laughs> yeah. let's not tell that to uh the pokemon company i'm gonna keep it secret from nintendo so did that is through that that you became exposed to design in general well by the time that i started high school a few years later i'd kind of like decided that coding was way too nerdy and i didn't want people to see me as a nerd no. so you know i needed to transition from being someone that coded and made websites to just being someone that, <laughs> you know, maybe made beautiful posters and magazines. So, you know, I saw oh, no. like graphic design, you. like really like, you know, got really appealing to me because I didn't want my peers to judge me for being like the nerdy one. Oh no, um, that's awful. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot actually to kind of like the, I mean, I think it's much less so because this was at a time when no one I knew was like on the internet. Like it right. wasn't like a thing to be on the internet uh-huh. really at this time. Like this was like pre MySpace, like pre Facebook. Um, the dark ages we call like, them. I had a blog, but like no one, like blogging wasn't cool. Like today, like, like A-list celebrities have blogs or like, you know, people get famous from blogging, like beauty blogging. And then it was just like blogs are something really nerdy people do. And you definitely don't want to admit to it in real life. Yeah, I think that's definitely changed it's it's a good time to be a programmer yeah definitely relatively but that is too bad i mean do you have any regrets about not continuing forward with the programming and coding side of your experience at that point yeah, that's a good question. Um, Thank I think you. like I've been <laughs> I've been pretty happy with like my path. So, you know, I pursued graphic design for quite a while and I did that in college as well and studying graphic design in San Francisco um, led me to be at the in the right place at the right time because all of a sudden all the jobs were in tech and I kind of naturally gravitated back into gotcha. into tech and so you went to school here in San Francisco? I did, yeah. How did you make that leap? And in, back into tech from graphic design? No, oh. from Norway to <laughs> right, that yeah. <laughs> San Francisco. Why San Francisco? Um, I think I've always been really obsessed with like American culture. At least I was as a teenager. And this came from uh, being a huge nerd. I spent all my time on the internet and most of my internet friends were American. So it just kind of felt like, okay, I belong here because like my, my friends are here. They get me. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I feel so alone in Norway, but when I speak to my American friends, like, you know, they're just like me. So they too know I Pokemon. I, <laughs> <laughs> I have street cred amongst my Pokemon So fans. I think I, yeah, I just always had that, that vision. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I had these um, images of myself, like, jogging along the beaches every morning uh, of California. Ah, yes. The lovely so, beaches that are yeah. freezing. If you live here, you just always do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like San Francisco, LA, like, very similar environments, really. So uh-huh. You just run from one to the other. It's, it's a good jog. Quick Cali jog. I think it's obvious that, like, my image of California was very driven by Hollywood and, you know, watching... God knows what. <laughs> yeah. And then you arrived here and Not it exceeded your expectations. Same, but I did love it. I mean, I'd visited twice while I was a teenager. So I kind of okay. oh, knew what yeah. I was getting into. But. You know, ending up in San Francisco was not the most conscious choice that I've ever made. Like, it was very much like typing graphic design university bachelor into like Google and seeing what came back to me. <laughs> so, you and know, that I was applied. CCA. Yeah, it did. And, you know, websites seemed the right. Uh, it was cheaper than SVA in New York, in Pratt in New York. And it wasn't in Georgia. Like, SCAD was another school that I was considering, but I'd never been to Georgia and I was like a little f- afraid. So. Okay. <laughs> And so by the process of elimination, I ended up here, I guess. And that was for graphic design specifically? Yeah. What made you decide that you should go into tech? Um, I think that while I was in college, I started really missing making websites. Um, and so it kind of just became a natural progression. And 
um, we would have assignments like like make an infographic for something and we could choose to like you know have the infographic be in a book or on a poster and then I would be like hey can I like make a website for this infographic instead of you know having it be a print piece because I feel like it makes more sense with like what I'm trying to communicate and so I managed to like interweave like these interactive projects into what was really like a very traditional graphic design education syllabus um and I think my professors probably picked up on that because they started really like referring me to to internships that were within technology. Um, and that's how I ended up doing an internship at Nokia since my professor kind of referred me to to guys there that were looking for like a visual design intern. Cool. What was that like? That was fun. I mean, it was in it was in Sunnyvale. So what I remember the most, though, was probably like the Caltrain rides like back and uh-huh. <laughs> up and down um, every day. Every day. Oh, no. It was quite a commute, but it was a really fun. It was the beginning of my realization that... I don't want to commute. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Clearly, I didn't stick to that one. Um, But no, more than... Gosh, how did I put this? It's like that there's more to design than just the visual problem solving because this sounds really naive and I... But it took me a long time to start thinking of design as um, as more than just like the layout of things, um, which is really silly because now that's like what I do for, for a living and every, it's not like I hadn't heard like, oh, design is how it works uh, like a gazillion times throughout my design education. Which, I mean, come on, that's not like super like specific. It's pretty vague. Design yeah. is how it works doesn't tell you shit. <laughs> God. We Damn speak it, in such, Steve. We speak in some pretty like dumb, vague ways. <laughs> Definitely. And I think just because I, I was so self-taught for, you know, a really long time and, you know, I'd designed for web for a long time. I designed even like, you know, little like mobile apps and things like that, like before um, the iOS platform was actually opened up. And but I still really just like saw it as like, you know, you wanted to make user friendly ways and you want to have nice tap targets and you wanted to like lay everything out. So like everything is obvious what's the most important and uh, the hierarchy is right and the navigation is good. But I wasn't thinking about it from like a product perspective I wasn't thinking about the fact that I was in fact like building something that had the potential to be a business at any of the points that I was making these things do you have any examples of what you worked on at Nokia um no I don't actually it was um I worked within the advanced design department as it was called and it was very like conceptual um so they would they would get like examples of like very like brand new technology from engineering teams, like hardware engineering teams. And it would be up to us to kind of like think of conceptual ways that we could enable this technology to be used like in like a holistic design sense. That sounds like the most badass internship ever. Yeah, it was pretty sick. (laughs) Yeah. What were some of the like learnings or lessons that you took away from that? I think just like the conceptual nature of it was the biggest learning for me. Like again, the fact that design could be like so innovative and really so loosely defined I think like it could be abstract and seem kind of like without um without like a clear solution but rather like really playful and looking for ways to like make technology useful how many people did you work with we were about like a team of eight designers okay Mm -hmm. and of those did you have a mentor like a intern yeah. leader someone well, that yeah, helped I had you along manager who was who was really good ah, to me yes, and, yeah um anna and i worked with a designer quite a lot and actually both of them are at facebook now so it's funny how that works out because <laughs> not thanks to me uh, <laughs> that would have been a good referral bonus but <laughs> maybe, yeah yeah so you did a summer at nokia yeah is it nokia or nokia i think we need like a finnish person to uh, square that debate shit. kari Get at me. Yo, Kari. I think in my head I always called it Nokia. But that sounds wrong now that I've heard you say Nokia. You know what's well, really I'm cool is that sure country like doesn't right. or that, that company doesn't exist anymore, so it's fine. That's yeah, true. but I they were well they I just want to say came it. back out with a thirty three ten, which is really funny. But um yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. 
3310 came back? Yeah, it doesn't look the same that it used to do. <laughs> it's just I was not just kind of hoping they would keep the same form It'd factor am- so that all my like Winnie the Pooh covers would still fit. Uh, but yeah. um, Hell yes. Yeah. That's like the whole point. Yeah. Anyway. So you finished your internship? I did. <laughs> was that uh, your last year of school or did you have to go back and do a lot more? That was the summer between like my junior and senior year. Okay. Yeah. So then you had to go back to school. I did, yeah. And yeah, I think it was really interesting because at that point I did my portfolio in the first semester and then I did my thesis in the last semester that I was in. Um, what was your thesis? I did a thesis on, I called it the myth of the technological utopia, which is Ooh. a mouthful. Um, yeah. But basically it just came down to trying to, I'll decide, I'll try and explain. You were disproving concept. San Francisco. <laughs> basically, yeah. I mean, there is a basically, common belief wink, wink. that Nine. our society is progressing on like a consistent upwards curve and that technology is just, you know, bringing us closer and closer to utopia. And my thesis was kind of attempting to debunk that technology makes our life greater. Um, Tell me why. I think technology is the greatest thing that ever existed and it solves all of mankind's problems. Prove me wrong. I think that you're uh, actually getting close to like a really interesting part of my thesis, which was that I wasn't fully convinced about it myself because I do love technology and I am quite addicted to my phone. And, you know, I worked for Facebook for three years and I don't think that advertising is inherently evil. And I think that a lot of my thesis was kind of like trying to confirm to this, um, you know, common narrative that targeted advertising is bad and selling of your information is bad. Um, and I don't fully subscribe to that. Like, it's definitely not fully good, but it's also not fully bad. And that made it very difficult to have a very, like, binary opinion on the topic. Okay. So what was the conclusion of your thesis? Like, what was the point you are trying to make? I was trying to say that, like, technology is bad, but I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> subscribing to the belief of my thesis. So. <laughs> so you were arguing against yourself the entire time. I was, which is a useful exercise, you know, sure. to be able to, um, I don't know, it certainly makes you explore your opinion a lot more when you're forced to argue for a point that you don't fully believe in. I think that's, like, a pretty common point in debate class and things sure. like that as well. But I also felt like, you know, the environment that I was in was kind of like pressuring me to take a stance that I wasn't fully convinced that I was uh, in agreement of. I've just started reading uh, To Save Everything, Click Here. Have you heard of this book? No. It sounds very similar to what you were writing about. It's, um, I mean, I'm pretty early on, so I can't speak to the the entire book. Mm -hmm. But essentially it's like debunking this idea that Technology can solve all of mankind's techno problems. saviorism. Techno saviorism, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the points are that we just still don't really understand the long-term consequences of what we've built. Yeah. Um, the fact that every that what two billion people on the planet now walk around with microphones and cameras in their pocket is still yet to be seen. What the long-term mm-hmm. consequences of that will be, especially with the news of the CIA hacking uh, technology and capabilities, like these things, we don't know what we've done yet. Um, so I think that's very an interesting area to explore as we keep designing digital products. Yeah, no, it, it's scary, like the extent of it, you know. But I think like being a person in tech, it's also makes me critical of those that take a very... Um, you know, the opposite approach that like all technology is bad. And mm-hmm. um, I don't it's, know. It's if simultaneously read... exciting, right? Like, yeah, there's so much potential in it. And Dave Eggers is one of my favorite authors. So when The Circle came out, uh-huh. I was like first in line to buy it. And I remember just being horribly disappointed because I thought it was such a flat depiction of, or one sided depiction of what like technology looks like and mm-hmm. what a technology company looks like. Huh. Let's talk about that. <laughs> So I haven't, I haven't read you, the circle, but I've seen the trailer for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that counts. You're basically halfway there. Basically there. So did you read the book while you worked at Facebook? We're kind of jumping did. ahead here. Yeah. Wait, let's get to that point. So you graduated school. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened? And um, in my final semester of college, I was interviewing for Facebook while I was making this thesis about uh, Facebook being evil. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, here's my resume, my portfolio. <laughs> Facebook, oh, the thesis. You also might want to check out my thesis. Yeah, I didn't show that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a job. I did, yeah. Okay, so that was right out of school. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing then you read The Circle while you worked at Facebook. I was about like six months into being at Facebook when I read The Circle, yeah. How did that impact you? Wait, isn't that like a big part of the story is that this person's like new at this tech company? Uh (laughs) Oh, I guess maybe like a quick synopsis for anyone that hasn't heard of the circle or. Well, it's it's like a square with rounded corners. Uh, Okay, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, we can move on. No, the book. Let's see. Um, I mean, it's been a few years since I read it now, so I'm not sure I can give the most. um, I'll help you out. Yeah. Should we Google it? I think the the circle is about this woman who's working at a large tech company, and I think she starts out in like kind of like a lowly role, and she like slowly progresses up. And the big part about it is like this company is like kind of shady, uh-huh. but it's very she's very much drinking the Kool Aid, and uh-huh. she's just eating it all up. And it's very obvious that this company is supposed to be Google. Um, uh, and or is it Google or it's right definitely or? it's definitely Google <laughs> or both. <laughs> Well, you know, at least Facebook doesn't wear, make wearables. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, and then things get interesting happening. Yeah, and then things just kind of go a little nuts. You know, I don't actually remember what happens. Yeah, I think that's an interesting book to read while you work at a company like that mm-hmm. because there's some truth to what they're writing. Like they're writing about things that exist. Uh, the free food, like the campus environment, the laid back attitude, mm-hmm. the people lounging yeah. around in sofas Business on their campuses very, are a new development. Yeah, and the optimistic well, attitude the, about it too. Like yeah, the yeah. Facebook and Google style, I would say. I don't I guess I don't really know. But I mean I definitely I've heard a lot of stories from like the dot com boom where they were oh, kind of sure, in the same boat. Sure, sure. So twenty years? So anyways. I'm just gonna argue this one point. <laughs> it's clearly the point of the whole <laughs> argument. So what did you take away from from reading that while you're well, I think I was. You've written your thesis. Now you're working at big tech. Yeah. No, I was disappointed in the book. Is I remember yeah. just thinking that. Let's see. I thought it was just one sided. I yeah. thought that the primary character was um, really reduced to like not have any critical thinking skill whatsoever. That's true. Like it was very much like she was just like all in and she was so into it and she didn't think critically about like anything that was happening and that seemed really unrealistic to me and was one of my like biggest disappointments with the book was just like, okay, I guess you could get in this situation if you're just really dumb and never think twice about what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 90% of startups. Not- <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair assessment. What did you end up working on at Facebook? I was working on search for one year and then I spent, and then I moved to London and I worked for Facebook Workplace. And you moved to London because you got kicked out. I did not get my H-1B in my H-1B lottery and my student visa expired. And so uh, it was back to Europe for me. What was that like? Um, It definitely kind of sucked. It definitely wasn't something that I was expecting to happen. Um, I'll say that like it was always something that I was kind of nervous about or at least aware of while I was studying because I knew I had a student visa. I knew that the visa process is very complicated and I couldn't count on finding an employer that would be willing to sponsor me. But then I got a job at Facebook and I figured like that shit was like sorted. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook got me. Yeah. So it was like, okay, this is good because they'll like definitely get me an H1B. And then turns out that 2013, they got like, you know, that was the um, year that just like the curve of applicants just um, reached um, like startup boom levels. So that was not as easily uh-huh. said as done. Yeah. But luckily, they have an office in London. So you scooted over to London. Then what'd you work on? Yeah, so I got um, relocated to London. They flew me over in business class, and you know, uh-huh. it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it sounded. Uh, in <laughs> fact, like sounds pretty nice, <laughs> London, that shithole. <laughs> so you know, I lost a few things in the process. Um, uh But but I ended up being really happy in London, actually. So even though it was only supposed to be like a one year thing, and then I would go back in an L one visa. Um, I ended up kind of falling in love in the city of London and deciding to stick around. Wait, London or the city of London? Both. <laughs> I, ju- I just learned that that's a different thing. Oh, well, oh yeah. Well, not not, not the city. Not like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't even know. So the city of London is inside London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, ci- the city of London is small, right? It's tiny. City is like the name for like the financial district. So oh, okay, it's like historically, it's like the oldest part of London, but mm. today it's just like the financial district. So when you talk about city, you mean this like little area Fine. where all the banks are. Yeah. Cool. What'd you work on while you were there? I worked on uh, Facebook Workplace or Facebook at Work as it was known during, <sighs> during my time. Yeah. What was that? Or what is that? For people it that don't know. is um, a version of Facebook for companies. So basically a company would get their own subdomain like coca-cola.facebook.com and then they would have a separate profile and a separate feed and just lots of groups and just, you know, Facebook, but for your company. Yeah. What was it like working on that? It was Because um, it's out now. Lot. Yeah, it's out now. <laughs> no, I came on as dumb. As the only full or the first like dedicated full time designer that was like in London with the rest of the team, um, and I think it was a product that kind of started out very with very experimental roots. It was kind of like okay, we're using Facebook internally at Facebook, the company, and it seems to be going really well. Like everyone enjoys using Facebook to communicate. Uh, while working at Facebook. What if other companies could also do that? And then we kind of split it off and put it on a subdomain and tried to get a company to use it for us so we could see what they thought about it. What were some of the biggest hurdles or challenges to that? Because you don't think of Facebook when you think Mm -hmm. of productivity or collaboration. Yeah, like when you hear Facebook at work, that's generally like a negative thing. Like that person wasn't doing anything. They were just using (laughs) Facebook at work. (laughs) So the branding so opportunity branding was like opportunity. exceptional. <laughs> yes. No, the different, yeah, like you're pointing out like the challenges was primarily in, in trust and just convincing people that like, no, this is like a good thing. Yeah. What are some, like, what did you and the team do to figure that, that out? Seems like a pretty big design challenge. Yeah, no, um, I think like what I spent the most time working on was like the trust aspect of people feeling confident that, you know, their boss would not get access to their party pictures on their personal Facebook. And how did you do that? It's a hard problem. Give me some tactical stuff. (laughs) How do you design for trust to that degree where it's like, I will not even consider your product if I don't trust it. I will, I will keep my party pics up on the same website as my (laughs) boss. (laughs) No, like it turns out that it took a lot of revisions to get it right. And I yeah. I mean, I redesigned the onboarding flow three times in the two years that I was in, like from scratch. Like we scrapped the whole thing and rebuilt it using like um, new learnings and strategy um, from from the last rounds. And the the third one is still going. So it seems to have, uh, see, I think we nailed it. Yeah. What was yeah. the strategy or approach that you finally landed on? So such a big part of it is the messaging. Like you have to be really clear and really constantly reiterate the fact that, hey, your personal Facebook is completely separate from your work Facebook. But really it came down to the fact that we had to add more friction into registration flow. And there's not yeah. a lot of like products you work on where you're like, okay, we need to make like the registration flow harder to get through. Um, That's kind of my MO. It's really like my... <laughs> My signature move. How can I make this worse? Let me make this 30 pages long and mm-hmm. each of them is a full form. Yeah. yeah, there's good friction in design, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it just came to like really forcing people to slow down. It came to forcing people to re-enter information even when we already had that information because surprise like, we already know who you are because you're <laughs> we on did Facebook. already know who you are because you're on <laughs> facebook.com and you're logged into your regular facebook so we know what your name is okay but we don't want you to think about the fact that facebook knows yes there's a cookie and we can read it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's not the point like the point is that we're presenting you with a completely blank registration flow and you have to go through the process of entering it again like your name and your email and your job title the facebook so, of lies so that you feel really like reassurance that you're creating something that's separate from from your original Facebook. Do you make them input their work details again on their profile so that you pretend that the two are not connected at all? <laughs> oh, wow. Looks like we don't know this about you. Well, we know which company you work on because we know... The subdomain. You know, yeah, the subdomain. You know. But like, wink. Like, we don't know anything. Fill it in. <laughs> Well, that's basically the approach that we took with, you know, like the name, profile, picture, email, and et cetera. Um, And then just like continually reflecting that back to you. So after you 
after you filled out the form with the blank form with no information at all, we show you like a profile card that's like, here's what your work profile looks like. So you can really get that reassurance that, oh, this looks completely different from my personal profile where I have my bikini photos or yeah. my party photos. And Please do not cross. Here's me in a tie. <laughs> uh, so there's more confidence, really, sure. in the fact that this, this is a fully separate product. Hmm. Gotcha. How long did you work on that? Two years. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the end, what, what was going on? Uh, the team was growing really fast. So when I moved to London to work on a team, there were like 12 people maybe, mostly engineers, like a product manager and um, engineering director and, and me. And that was kind of it. And by the time that we left, we had a full-on like partnerships team. We had a full-on marketing team. We were like four designers and growing. And it was really cool to just like be a part of that like growth journey. But at the point that it got to like, you know, it went from being 12 people to like 60 people and more people were joining every week. Um, and I'd kind of slowly realized that I missed the smaller team. I'd missed feeling closer to to the people that I was working with. Um, and I thought that, hey, if it turns out that I love working in a small team, maybe I should go work somewhere else that's not like a 15,000 people company. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's kind of what led me to so I did. want to try out something else. Yeah. Yeah. And what would what did you try right after? How did you take the idea that I know there's something maybe a little more suited to me. I'm going to find it by doing this yeah well i wanted to well i didn't have a very clear path i knew that there were loads of different things that i would be interested in i would be interested in working with a small startup i would be interested in working in more like a studio or agency type of environment um because i hadn't been in a startup and i hadn't been in an agency and these were just like experiences that i wanted to see what were like um and i also was really curious about like being a freelancer so I kind of like quit without having a plan. Like I didn't have a job lined up. I just ah, knew that, that it was. strategy. Yes. <laughs> yes. That old the, chestnut. The no strategy strategy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I quit and I actually uh, flew to New York and I did like a two week writing course just to like completely uh, start with something really different. Just get me out of my, my environment and try something new. Then I spent some more time in New York, and then I went back to London and tried to enjoy the summer. Um, and then I moved to Amsterdam. Why a writing course? Well, I really like writing. I've always really enjoyed writing. Um, I minored in writing and literature in college, and it's just always been like a bit of a passion for me. Mm-hmm. So the course I took was um, design writing and research, and I was just kind of like excited about not designing with pictures for a couple of weeks and learning more about design from a writing perspective. Tell me more. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) What did you learn? What is it about? How do I do this? Well, I think it was like a little different from what I was expecting when I signed up for it. The course was very, I want to say, kind of like journalism oriented as in like writing about design kind of like from a third party perspective rather than writing about design from like the perspective Ah, of someone that does design i see so i ended up just really you know i write a design critic yeah yeah very much so you know as a it was a great course like you know our teachers were um you know the main culture correspondents of the new york times like it was very it was very like prestigious in that way but it turns out that you know reviewing museum exhibitions or writing profiles on architects is like not the type of design writing that i am interested in doing personally <laughs> even though i love reading it sure, sure. <laughs> yeah okay so two week course but you felt like it was still somewhat worth it Oh, definitely. I mean, I got to spend like three weeks in New York during the summer. So that, that alone is kind of cool. But it's and so hot. It was, it, I <laughs> Riding was, the I subway in New York in the summer. <laughs> so but it was fun. It was like a nice like break of going from, you know, some really intense months or years or whatever at Facebook to then just taking like a completely clean break of doing going out of my comfort zone and doing something really different yeah. um, right afterwards. 
That sounds lovely. I mean, I kind of, in retrospect, I probably would have taken at least like a week off between like my last day at Facebook and my first day doing this like intensive ass writing course because I swore like I didn't sleep for like a month during that time. But <laughs> God, that intense. It Jesus. was really intense. Like it, we had over two weeks, we had like 10 different assignments. So there was like a deadline every day. Um, and when all the, um, all your teachers and instructors were just you know, really prestigious people. So you wanted to impress them, but also you were writing through the night, like totally sleep deprived. So I didn't feel like I was doing my best work. My God. Did you ever take a break between that and going back to Amsterdam? Oh, you said you did take a little bit of time after the course. Yeah. So after that, I was um, in London, just kind of like enjoying the summer for That's right. That's for right. a few months before going to Amsterdam. And then Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And then- Wait, did, did you... Did that change your design process in like a practical way, the writing? It taught me a lot about how you make it as a writer, if that's something okay. that you're interested in. But I don't think it affected how I design as in my job as a product designer. Okay, cool. That's something I've always wondered about. Is like, I'd love to get better like writing and describing things and like mm -hmm. really getting to the root of a thing. No, I definitely learned a lot of like kind of like tips for, for writing well. Um, okay. Can you give me one I of those tips? Read your shit out loud. Just ah. like, <laughs> it sounds really basic, but keep doing that. Yeah. Or in my case, start doing that. <laughs> cool. So then you're in Amsterdam. Yeah. And at that point, I was kind of like working on my portfolio. Um, I was freelancing. I was working with like a couple of friends, you know, because I felt like I was between jobs and I might as well do something to occupy my time. Um, and I had this like, you know, grand ambition that like eventually I'll get my portfolio together and then I can actually start talking to companies about jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that old well, chestnut. <laughs> but then people like reached out to me with like more projects for me to do. And before I could ever finish my portfolio, I was getting caught up in all these like freelance projects that were taking up all my time well and good for you that's, that's a great it's a great place to, to be have. jeez so yeah that's kind of i still haven't done my portfolio and it's been almost a year now <laughs> uh, yeah i love your website just like thank mm, you maybe it'll happen <laughs> <laughs> but should designers have portfolios oh god oh no oh no <laughs> i don't she doesn't you don't yeah i mean i wish i did like i want to have a portfolio and if you want a job, you should probably be able to show your work. <laughs> yep, I think that's the answer. If you want a job, you should probably have one. <laughs> if you don't want a job, then you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> that's right, because you already don't play by the rules. Yep. Uh, coming from the Facebook background, did you have anything in your mind of like, here? here's what I want, the kinds of problems I want to work on or the kinds of companies that are interesting to me? Sounds like smaller is mm -hmm. one criteria you had smaller was a big one and well, luckily there's a lot all, of those companies yeah <laughs> it doesn't take much just like okay so not google um no i i wanted something that just felt very different so i wanted something that was a tool like i was really fascinated by doing something that had like a very like practical reason behind mm -hmm. it um and, you know, I'm a power Facebook user, but I think it's a, I wanted something just much more pragmatic. I can um, like twice as many things as the normal user, <laughs> twice as fast. Power. Um, and then I wanted to learn something new. And so I was just, that was a very open-ended thing, but I wanted it to like be something that I hadn't had experience with before. So for me, when I got in touch with, with Glue, it ended up being a really interesting opportunity because I'd never worked with like something that had a physical component before. Mm -hmm. And getting to design something that interacted then with, uh, with a physical product and not just a digital product was really interesting to me. Yeah, what's been the most interesting learning from that? I've never gotten to do that. Yeah, well, there's just like a lot more technical challenges at what you can do, right? And Are you working mainly on the app or industrial design as well? No, so I don't have any background in industrial designer in in industrial was, design. So that's why I was like, holy shit, that. that's impressive. <laughs> but no, so I'm only doing the app, but I'm also, you know, playing with like the branding and the packaging and things like cool. that, which has been really fun because then I get to mm -hmm. use my graphic design education for the first time in a long time. Um, since all of a sudden we have something physical to sell that sure. needs to be branded. And then the app has the hardware component to it, right? Like exactly. Like the, the app needs to communicate with this 
physical sure. thing. Yeah. And this physical thing, you know, has more fail cases than a server. Like, you know, you can be too far away for the Bluetooth to work. It can time out. It might not, like, be immediate. And uh-huh. so interactions in the app need to, like, have this waiting component of making it feel fast. But... Also, you know, given the lock time to like turn around because it's like actually like a physical thing that needs to, you know, move your deadbolts. It's not milliseconds. What is even the point? <laughs> <laughs> Locked. <laughs> That's the sound it makes in my head. Whoosh. The, the standard lock sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Breaks if this the was door. in Japan, it would probably also play a little song. Yeah. yeah. Kind of wish that Make, it would do that. Hey. Good jingle. You have an opportunity. The glue jingle. <laughs> the glingle. Okay, um, so you're here right now. Why? Mm-hmm. What's up? What's going on? Why are you here? Just chilling. Cool. I yeah. found cheap tickets. Nice. Cool. <laughs> I saw on Twitter that you brought your Nintendo Switch with you. I did, yeah. You mentioned Zelda earlier in the show. Yeah. Do you still do <laughs> a lot two of these? Two together do you here. still do a lot of these like pop culture like projects or anything like that? Or no, I have stopped making websites for every video game that I play, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. That's sad. <laughs> I mean, I seriously debated making like a recipe website for the new Zelda game. That's not a bad idea. I know, I mean, right? I'm into that. <laughs> Nobody's done that yet. No, me and Sophus were talking about doing it. Well, really, no one's done yeah, that. Yeah, Sophus is like, I was thinking about doing this. I was like, yes, let's do it. Dude, yeah, get on it. But I feel like people are talking about the recipes too much. Like it's really not that hard. You just kind of combine ingredients that seem like they go well together. Yo, but have you figured out how to use choo choo jelly? Because I have not. No, I have not. Exactly. No. You guys but haven't figured that out yet. It. I huh? don't think that you haven't figured that out yet. Recipes. Brian, you haven't played it. Ah, maybe you'll <laughs> figure it out when you reach a higher level. You need. Wait, a- have you played it? Brian yeah. keeps saying I've beat it twelve times. <laughs> no, Brian keeps asking like, "What level are you?" And he knows that there's no levels, <laughs> and just keeps picking on this whole leveling thing. You have to have fourteen hearts before you can use the choo-choo jelly. Shut up. Is that what it's called? You have to find the choo-choo train, and then you can use the choo-choo <laughs> jelly. Is it called choo-choo jelly? Yes. C H U C H U. Let's talk about video game design. Okay, it's real pretty. It's so pretty. I don't even play it. I just like watching it. I like the thing that has stood out to me is like, okay, so Ocarina of Time was like my favorite game ever. Yeah. Um, Lots of Pokemon games like right below that, but Zelda Ocarina of Time for sure. The thing that stands out to me about this one compared to that is it feels so practical in the way it thinks about the world. And it makes me really excited. Like when you hold like a flaming arrow and you just have it like knocked or whatever and like you're not shooting or anything, but you're standing in the grass, like it starts like lighting grass on fire in the direction the wind is moving. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, I never would have expected that. But From a Zelda game, right? You can just kind of expect things to happen like that. Like, I wouldn't expect that from, like, a more photorealistic game either. Like, it's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, and even, like, the, um, you know, fantasy aspects of it, like the rune powers that you have. Hell yes. You kind of have to figure out how to use them based on what you think is likely to happen, like, physically. And it just makes sense, you know? Yes. Like, oh, I need this ball to, like, go all the way over to the other side of this room. So I guess I'll freeze it and then hit it a bunch of times so the power <laughs> accumulates. <Yeah. laughs> and you just kind of figure that out on Stores your own. Stores up kinetic energy. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way that they teach using those, like, mini dungeons, too. That's been really interesting. It's like, here's all the basic stuff and we'll just kind of like help you figure it out. But then complex use cases of it, they like help build you up to through like these optional challenge things. Mm-hmm. And it feels, I don't know, it's, it's very fun to like figure out. That's video game onboarding and skill generation is incredible design work. I think of, uh, you know, we've talked about Hearthstone on the show before, but certainly that as well is how do you teach people to do really practical things without it being boring while also progressing them ideally through a plot? Uh, yeah, I've been really impressed by, by this game in particular because it's done. Honestly, I, I don't play a lot of video games these days. I'm just a huge Zelda fan that will always buy the console that mm-hmm. Zelda is on. Um, but it's the first Zelda game that I've played and the first video game that I've played where the onboarding just doesn't feel like onboarding. You feel like you just kind of yeah. land it and you're on your own... And you just have to kind of figure it out. Uh, and yeah, like it teaches you how to do these things in a really clever way, but it doesn't feel like onboarding. It just feels like landing in the middle of it. That was the thing I always hated about Ocarina of Time. It's like there's this like long like intro sequence that takes forever to deal with. And it's kind of like, if you want to start over with that game, you're, you know you're in for like mm-hmm. an hour long slog or something. And this feels like 
pretty fast you're just kind of yeah. in it and call it a day like and i think like especially because we're so used to that from previous zelda games it's like oh great i'm gonna spend at least like an hour like finding my sword and then finding my shield yeah. and just getting like my basic tools versus in breath of the wild you land into it and you've got like a sword and a shield within like minutes yeah um, you run outside and you're just axe, like done what the what am i supposed to do now like <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden i've got these powers and i haven't even earned them that's you get like one little pointer like, hey, there's a temple over there. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Thanks uh, so much to Nintendo for sponsoring this episode of Design <laughs> Details. You can get your Switch at Best Buy or Target located near you or at Target.com. That's not true. They're all sold out. Otherwise, I would have a Switch and I don't. Sad. Yeah. I. But you play on the Wii U and apparently it's more performant, which is crazy to me. Didn't know about that. That's interesting. <laughs> like all the, all the speedrunners are playing it on Wii U in German because that's the fastest what? version. <laughs> German? But the words yeah. are so long. There, apparently, there's fewer words in German, so it goes what? faster for all the cutscenes. You're kidding me. <laughs> no, I cannot. What? I know, right? Yeah. That doesn't sound like German. Who I, figures this shit out? Speedrunners do. My God. But also German? I'm still not <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but also. I mean, at Facebook, we also always had to test every yeah, yeah, yeah. every interface with German because they have the longest words. So you have to like make sure that it fits. So that seems very contrary to speedrunning. Well, maybe Hylian words are shorter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hyrulean German. Uh, do you want to get a job? Not right now. When do you think that point is? Can you freelance forever? No, probably not. Why? Um, I like the problems that I'm working on right now, and that's what like keeps me freelancing. But like I mentioned, I kind of just fell into it accidentally, and I've been lucky enough to keep having projects that that you know keep my interest. But it's a bit lonely. It's a lonely existence to be a freelancer, and I think that when it comes down to it, I do prefer to be you know, in a team of really great people to collaborate with and having that community around me. How do you deal with the loneliness? Slack has been a pretty good help. I uh-huh. mean, I, I'm i a part of a few Slack groups that, that really help because you have people to talk to both when you're, you know, sending emails about whether it's like pricing or invoicing mm-hmm. and things like that. And you just kind of need to like freak out with someone. It's like, oh my God, am I phrasing this the right way? Um, and also just as a way to stay social throughout the day and even plan a bear after work. But, but yeah, that's kind of just like compensating for the lack of people around you to do that with. Totally. Internet friends. Yeah, the best ones. Internet friends are the best. And finally, we like to ask at the end, what keeps you up at night? Besides Zelda. Yeah. Well, (laughs) other than, you know, like the safety of Hyrule, I've been thinking. (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about, well, I think I've been going through a bit of like an existential crisis as far as who am I other than a designer? Besides I'm Hyrule, glad we started with like, <laughs> besides Hyrule I'm uh, questioning everything <laughs> kind of like Link though because he lost his memory I mean he doesn't know who the fuck <laughs> he, he doesn't is, know who he is so either it's kind of like that Spoilers, you can really go guys. through this together Jesus. I was in like the first five minutes jeez spoilers like the first yeah spoilers for someone who hasn't played the first five minutes spoilers <laughs> for someone who hasn't gone through the menu yet <laughs> So you're having an sorry. Okay, I did not mean to make a no. light of the fact that you're having an existential crisis. I'm sorry. I just want to talk about Link more. I don't think there's anything wrong about like taking it less seriously. I think that's like a good thing. But I think that you know, in the design community in general, I think we we take ourselves very seriously and we're very passionate about our craft and our profession. <laughs> and we like no. define Designers ourselves by never. the fact that like I'm a designer. So you totally. know, I have a designer wardrobe and I have like, a designer <laughs> items. I wear all and black. I go hiking in like the <laughs> my photos in the every weekend. You know, it's like it's such a lifestyle. God, you're describing like an entire group of my friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I no. love these people. It's very funny, of course. But yeah, it feels like. I mean, it's a fact, like, there's not really enough, like, diversity in this industry. And I think, like, a lot of our identities are just built up on the fact that we're designers. And designer looks one way and acts one way. and Exactly. And who am I? Like, if I stop being a designer tomorrow, like, what would be left of me? I don't know. Nothing. Wow. One pixel. (laughs) Not even a pixel. So what does that mean for you? It means that I'm, I'm trying to... 
I'm trying to get hobbies that are not the same. Kind um, of de- <laughs> develop an external I'm identity se- kind of thing. I'm seeing other skills. I'm just trying to like pursue other interests and not care so much about like what designers do and what the current like argument is on Twitter that you know we're all fighting against <laughs> and passionately arguing uh-huh. for CSS frameworks and portfolios oh, and coding. What's yeah? What's the top of your list? Well, let's see. I'm trying to just read more right now. I'm not sure if this is the the right start, but I think like. When you ask people, when you ask designers on Twitter what they're currently reading, it's always like a self-help book. And you, you don't call it a self-help book, but they're self-help books. It's like how to be better at your job and how to be a better manager and how to, you know, think faster or slower or that kind of thing. Like, or both. And like, why does no one read fiction anymore? Uh-huh. So what are you reading? God, I'm not reading anything right now. I'm terrible. <laughs> Top of my list. Read more. Currently not reading anything. I, just, I am failing. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, I was reading quite a lot at the end of last year. Yeah. I will just scratch the part where I'm not currently reading anything. <laughs> you, no, no. That doesn't well, count. <laughs> hey, Zelda only allows for so much reading. <laughs> I know. Oh, you're reading the... I'm reading... Pop-up things. Yeah. Cutscenes. Recipes. In German. There you go. You got to be quick about it. I think... I am probably alongside you in feeling like a portion of my identity is tied up in design. And I think that's okay. Like it's what we've chosen to spend a lot of our time doing. Absolutely. But definitely if that approach is 100%, mm-hmm. it becomes quite terrifying. Yeah, I think you just said the word portion. And I think that's that's healthy. Yeah. I think as long as there's something else that you can define yourself by. Yeah. The other That's portion helpful. for me is my dog Taco. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> I'm 98%. He's Taco's bed. 98% designer, 2% Taco owner. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that encouraging that like diversity of thought and diversity of hobbies is would be really good for our community because it means that there's room for other people that don't fit the mold that we kind of push people into to sure. um, to join us and feel like they belong instead of feeling that they have to you know change their ways of being in order conform to, in order to fit in yeah well what have you found so you have lived here and you know what the community's like in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. but also London, Amsterdam. I don't know if you Oslo. can commute to Sweden for, for work or anything, but has that mold or that idea in your head of the mold of designer sort of expanded if you, as you've seen these different places or is it sort of the same? In, in, I think like the interesting go? thing is that I see this both in London and Amsterdam that people still really look up to San Francisco and still mm. people still look to the Bay Area as like what it is to be a tech worker. And people think of moving here as being like the pinnacle of success. And so instead of trying to establish successful communities in in the cities that they're from or in the cities that they enjoy, they think that until I get a job at a startup in San Francisco, I'm, you know, what's I'm even not the successful. point? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, I mean, on one hand, it causes like a lot of brain drain, drain, um, brain drain, because the best and the smartest are all like immigrating to America or at least attempting to, which I think is a shame for, again, like just diversity of thought. Like if we could instead build really strong tech communities around the world, we'd be building better products with better perspectives than having everything happen here where you're in a very insular community. Do you have any advice for people that are listening that are outside of the Bay Area and might be feeling like this is the pinnacle? Like, uh, Do you recommend coming and living here for a while, working here for a while, or are there better ways to get skills and work on interesting, great products outside? Yeah, well, I think that's like, a dumb question because obviously there are. I guess just advice for, <laughs> for people that might be listening and wondering if this is the right place for them to want to end up. Yeah, well, I think like there are so many great resources, obviously, on the internet that can teach you a lot of those things without being here. Like, there's no denying that for me. Like, I wouldn't be who I was if I hadn't lived here and worked here and had those experiences learning from the tech companies here. And I've been very privileged to do so. But 
I would also, you know, immigrating to the U.S. is difficult. Like you can't just want to do it and make it happen. Like it's it involves a lot of luck and a lot of privilege to be able to do so. And I don't want to say that, oh, if you can, you know, come here and learn, then you'll not have a chance. I think the important thing is building a community where you are like really banding together to people that are in the sign and creating meetups and creating a community there. Yeah. Yeah. That can rival what you find here. Sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking time to visit us. Yeah, thanks while for coming to hang out. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was episode 190. Thank you so much to Christine for coming and hanging out with us all the way from Amsterdam. She came here just for this. Nothing else. Promise. Yep. You can let us know what you think on Spectrum. That's at spectrum.chat. We have a frequency. Design details frequency. We have a frequency for design details where we're sharing all the episodes. We can live chat about anything we talk about uh the links the show notes everything there will be there. a post on there for this episode get in there hit us up you can re-listen to it there if you really want i yeah. don't know why you do that but hey why not hey spectrum.chat tilde design dash details gotta find a there better go. name for tilde uh, like you don't call it reading out those urls is gonna be bad we'll get there go uh search for <laughs> it because we'll definitely have search built by then search for design we promise <laughs> And we'll see you next week. But we'll see you later today on Spectrum. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Perfect.